The Hidden Light is a podcast that takes you into the world of magic, of distant and hidden wise knowledge, of the forbidden, the unknown, of the occult and the esoteric arts. Welcome to The Hidden Light. Small indie publisher, mandrake.uk.net, based in Oxford, are producers of a steady stream of occultural books since the 1980s. Learn to trade as Golden Dawn Pubs, a spin-off for occult sodality that made many samizdat pamphlets and fanzines, writing the new magical wave that is still rolling. Today we're going to sit and talk with Cassandra Latham-Jones, a village wise woman who wrote a book called Village Witch, Life as a Village Wise Woman in the Wilds of the West Cornwall. Cassandra tells of the practices of her craft, which include many stories and observations regarding the day-to-day experiences of a traditional wise woman, including her personal approach to magic. Let's begin. Why did you decide to write this book? It was because I kept being asked the same question over and over and over again. And in the end, I suppose I I was kind of, not exactly bullied into it, but encouraged the owner of the Museum of Witchcraft at the time, Graham King, said to me one day, because I worked a lot with him in the early days when he took over in the late 90s, he said, Cassandra, you're like a folk singer without an album. You need to write a book. People want to know more about what you do and how you came to be what you are, i.e. the village wise woman. And I went away and thought about this and thought, yeah, he's right, actually. But it never occurred to me to write a book before because I didn't consider myself as an author as such. I'm more a um, people person. I talk with people. And I thought, well, if I can write a book like I talk, I should be all right. And basically, it's about my journey Uh, from early times, from when I was very young, to becoming a village wise woman. And that's what people kept asking me. How did you become a village wise woman? So I thought I'd write about it. Cut to the chase. So every time I'm asked that, I say, you need to read my book. (laughs) So it gives it a bit of a plug at the same time. I think that this book is a book of um, wise words, precious wise knowledge magical and beautiful travel adventures and personal experiences. I wanted to write um, about what it's like to be a village wise woman, but I realized that I had to write something of the journey because being a wise woman, you don't suddenly become a wise woman. There is no sort of government scheme to help you attain this qualification. 
you have to have lived a pretty checkered life to pick up the experience experiences that you need to deal with other people's everyday problems so my journey directly informs my practice so to me the journey is just as important as the destination even though i feel like i haven't quite got there yet anyway because i'm always learning what do you need to become a wise woman what do you need um as far as i'm concerned and i realize not everyone feels like this it's a vocation um when by happenstance i'm i met a couple of witches one of the first things that occurred to me one when I realized what magic was and how I could um, directly tap into it, my first thought was I could help people with this. Um, so I was immediately drawn to that sort of, of work, vocational work. Um, but that's a very personal thing. I think in a more general sense, one of the most important attributes you need is observation, imagination, determination. There's a lot of nations here, but it's, it's that sort of thing. They're quite old fashioned sort of attributes, but they're oh so necessary in becoming a wise woman, um, which sounds a little bit of a pretentious title. But as I say, I'm wise enough to know I don't know everything and I've never claimed to either. But I do tend to wonder when I'm talking to <laughs> you. do talk about pragmatism as well. Feet yes. on the ground. Yes, indeed. Yes, I forgot that one. And, and then you, you also relate this to the space cadet. Oh, right. Yes. I think it's very important if you are going to what they term walk between the worlds, you need to keep your feet on the ground in order to do that so that you're the communication between your physical person and your psychic abilities, shall we say, your, your intuition, your ability to commune with the spirit world, means that you are tethered to the real world. And I use that term deliberately because a tether is something a bit like one of those elasticated leads that dogs have. You can go and explore all sorts of unexplored territory, the here be dragon's land, but you always know where you're coming back to. And when I'm termed, what I term the space cadet, cadets is where I think people rather indulge themselves in being away with the fairies and not being grounded in reality. So they may feel that they're getting messages from the gods and what have you, but unless it is grounded in reality and a bit of pragmatism, the ability to apply it or the wisdom to apply it, then it's not much use, really. What is, in your opinion, essential to make magic work? You need an imagination. You get back to these <laughs> nations again, isn't it? Um, an intent. I think you need to have some sort of emotional connection to what you're doing, but not so much that it takes you over. Um, what do you need? In intent, 
I go by results, basically. If it works, I'll use it. Um, so determination, imagination. The imagination is so important because if you can't imagine it happening, where's your head at? Um, all sorts of things, I suppose. See, I, I, I don't have these. Um, I'm very spontaneous practitioner. Um, I work with what's happening in the here and now. I'm, I don't um, respond very well to uh, set up situations and posed sort of photos or questions and things like that. I just act with what's happening in front of me. Um, I, I just know that magic works um, and I will use whatever method within my own personal ethics, I hasten to add, that works for, to get the proper result for people. Is magic dangerous? It depends whose hands it is in. It's a bit like electricity like that, isn't it? You can cook your meal with it or you can kill someone. It depends how your circuits are set up and your ethics, in my opinion, as well. And everyone's ethics are personal. And I have my own personal ethics. Um, and other people have theirs. So when people approach me and ask me things that I'm not prepared to do, then I'll say there are plenty out there if you're really de that desperate. Um, but we do get, I mean, for instance, I, I can sense the next question hovering is what my personal ethics. Um, three of them, that's all. And I put them in all our literature. And first one is complete confidentiality. You have to have that in place. I learned that as a nurse and it stands in good stead with any vocational work. People have to feel at ease that what you're saying to them, they're saying to you is not going to go any further. And it's certainly part of the witch's law about to be silent. Also, the second one is we do not perform acts of magic without the uh, recipient's full knowledge and permission. So we do not perform love spells where the other person's unaware of it. We do not um, do work for people, however much parents want you to do something for their sons or daughters, unless we have their permission, we won't do it. Because to me, that's unethical to exert your will over someone else, unless it was an emergency. Um, because I have done bindings in the past so that some people can ex escape um, like in domestic abuse, for instance, until they can escape into a place of safety. But they're purely temporary things. And lastly, um, do not perform acts of magic that are known to be cause harm. They're my three ethics, really. What do you think there are the challenges of the life of a wise woman? Well, they're not as dire as they had been in the past. I mean, there's documentation that uh, supports that one where within small communities, 
which is where people like myself used to operate, um, they could turn on you if you got something remotely wrong. But then that was um, more the medieval mindset there. Although that can still creep out nowadays. We, you've only got to see that in certain situations. I mean, it's not called a witch hunt for nothing. Although it's not necessarily witches, just witches anymore. It's anyone that's a little bit different or goes against the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, so challenges. Uh, Some clients can be extremely challenging, I can assure you. Some people just want you to wave a magic wand and make it all go away. And I'm not prepared to do that. I will get people to try and heal themselves therefore I can be a bit firm in my dealings with people I will teach them how to do it for themselves which is as far as business goes a lousy decision because you then lose your clients but that's why it's a vocation for me I'm there to help empower people not disempower them but there are plenty of people out there if they need people like that with super ultra blown egos that but then I'm not one of them. I'm there to just help people, you know. I come from the grubby end of witchcraft, Kerrigan. I'm not one of these um, elite, highfalutin, Latin-sounding, name-dropping people. Um, do you have any rewards for being a wise woman? Oh, yes. My best reward. Back in the days when people used to visit me in my cottage, and that's pre-COVID, obviously, I would often have people arrive looking quite harrowed and then they'd leave with a bit of a spring in their step because they had a, a better idea of how to go about handling their particular problems in life. That's my reward, seeing people get better, seeing people getting empowered from what was a disempowered situation. I mean, obviously, there needs to be a trade that goes on that pays the bills, but <laughs> you're not going to earn an awful lot of money being a wise woman, I can assure you. And it, it's traditional that anyway, because in the past, um, because there's a lot of documentation about wise women, particularly down in the West Country, um, it was always do, done to supplement, supplement their incomes because they often were farm labourers or, or they worked as uh, fishermen, or not fishermen, fish, fishwives, and so they had choice language and all sorts. But they're, they're peasant people, basically. People of, that's why I say, grabby end of witchcraft, where the, it's peasant magic. So it's not this elevated, highfalutin stuff that it's, some are trying to turn into which does rub me up the wrong way somewhat. But there we go. That's me. I'm a grumpy old woman. You have an extraordinary book full of extraordinary experiences. One of them is about getting to be known, which is something that, you know, people do know you, but they go a little bit, you know, they really don't talk about it too much because you're doing your business and that's it. And they're getting uplifted and healed and all of that. There's not a big, you know, 
bluaha about it. Um, but there was something in the book that you talked about that was the story of the chaplain um, that find out <laughs> in a magazine. <laughs> and it was something that you did, right? And um, and you did honestly and really kind of, you know, uh, the best, uh, with the best of intention. And then it came out a little bit different than you thought. Well, yes. I was very naive at the time. Um, I didn't realize there were these people sort of that scoured local papers for stories and fed them to the nationals. I had no idea about that because I, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, well, now I've been uh, on a list of uh, hospital visitors for different belief systems. I'll let the local people know. So I put it in the local paper. And then suddenly it all, it all went a bit mad, very mad, in fact, uh, as I wrote about in the book. Um, but there's not a lot you can do about it once it's out there, it, except apart from leaving the country or hiding under a stone somewhere, you, you, you do have the option of, of kind of going with it and thinking, right, well, I'm out here in the open, so I might as well make the best of it and possibly try and re-educate people a little bit more about it all. Um, so started my campaigning days. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking of going in that direction, but the gods chose otherwise. The aim of my craft is to aid people in their search for healing, empowerment, and fulfillment of their potential. When you did your oath, you said, whatever it takes, it still stands. Do you have any regrets of that at all? Um, the human part of me says, well, yes, there's all sorts of things I, I wish I'd done differently. But then the pragmatic side of me thinks, yeah, but then you wouldn't have learned. Um, so in balance, I think, no, because it's an ongoing process. If you... Um, place your life in the lap of the gods, for want of a better expression, then you you go with it. You, you, you roll with the spirits. If you're going to commune with the spirit world, then you have to be prepared to be rolled around quite a bit. Um, and they just, I find myself in some amazing places and what I call pinch me moments. And I think, good heavens, who'd have thought? If this, that, and the other hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here now enjoying this sort of situation. And sometimes that took me in, into other countries and meeting other people. And it's that would never have happened um, if I hadn't sort of taken a few risks. You said that any witch worth their salt should be able to curse and heal. Mm -hmm. Why? What is the importance of having these two skills? Because if you don't have those two skills, you're only using half your energy. We all have a dark and the light side, and you have to know how to deal with the dark side. Otherwise, what, what use would I be to people if I only looked at one side of things? I'd be two-dimensional. You, you've got to look at all sides of things. And 
as I quote in the book. If you've got a black belt in karate, you have the ability to kill someone with your bare hands, but you don't have to kill someone to get your black belt. So you, you need to know how. So you do need to explore all areas. Makes sense to me. And I don't quite understand people that only look at one side and, and just shy away from all, all darkness. It's, it, darkness adds definition for heaven's sake. You'd be blind without it. We have to talk about Mav because oh, um Mab. yeah yes. yeah um, you're familiar yes and uh can you talk a little bit more about what a familiar is well i didn't notice it straight away um because i often wondered about those old tales and you think was it actually real did, did those sort of things happen um because until it happens to you, you've always got a bit of a question mark over certain things. Um, and I just started to notice that there was this strange mirroring going on, that when something happened to me, it's almost like Mabel almost felt obliged to make it happen to her. And it's, it's like, when you live on your own and when you live close to the spirits and the gods, you know, because I wasn't distracted by any other mundane stuff because I lived on my own for so long with just the cat. And I just started to notice things like that. Um, and she was very into the work I was doing when I was um, working, say, uh, doing a spell. She'd often be there by my side, kind of, patting things and and I might have forgotten something and she'd bring something into it or she'd plonk her paw on a particular card and it's like if you live that liminal life you you're looking and expecting things like that so I suppose you put yourself in that supercharged state where you do have strong communication uh, with another creature it's the same when you're out in the countryside and your communion with spirits of the land or the, the physical beings that live in woods and in the skies and under the earth. There is uh, quite a lot pearls that I, I like to take out of this book. And, you know, it's quite a lot of pearls. Um, but one of them is you get out of magic what you're, pre you're prepared to put into it. The interesting thing about a pearl Kerrigan is they're caused by irritation, aren't they? <laughs> um, and yes, as a result of being extremely irritated with, with, with some clients who aren't prepared to put the work in, like I say, going back to that, you know, ubiquitous magic wand that I'm supposed to wave and make it all go away. It does. How much are how much do you want this? When people say, oh, but it's difficult, but yes, and um. The sense of achievement is, is incredible when you work at something over a long period of time. And I found through my own experience that persistence really pays off. And ritually speaking, you must have found this out for yourself as well. Um, repetition um, is very, can be very powerful. It can, one, put you in an altered state 
and and two it just winds up the the battery so to speak it's like a dynamo you, you keep keep it you're winding it up winding it up people call it all sorts of things you know turning the mill and 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 all sorts of things like that but i've just found and you, you start this and you don't realize really early as a child children are so open to magic it's untrue and they start with these little childhood charms don't they and as I, I say with some of my workshops, when I, I'm, I'm using this as an example, a lot of the old work songs um, come from the same sort of principle where you raise the energy by repetition. And it's very difficult to, to talk in a podcast. It is something I, I could show you um, by showing you maybe a clip off YouTube of, of women um, walking, which is a, a term they use for beating the, the hell out of tweed. So it's nice and supple because it's very spiky when it first comes. But they have a special song that goes with it. And you have a group of uh, about eight women, you know, thumping hell out this cloth, but they're doing it in a very rhythmic way. And it's quite trance-like. And they have many verses to it. Um, and it's, there's a magic in that. In your experience, and, and one of the things that you ask people, your clients, is, do you want to be healed? And this has a purpose, and you explain in the book why, um, but have you found some people that do not want to be healed? Well, they can trot out all the excuses in the world, and they, they are many and varied, and it's usually coming from a wounded point of view or damaged um, place. Um, when people are, for instance, raised in, let's just say dysfunctional families, they find it very hard to live a, a normal life after having been wounded at such a young age. So success to succeed at something is, is very difficult for such people particularly if they've been brainwashed into thinking they'll never amount to anything or they're no good or they'll never succeed at anything. It's like even once those people's persecutors have, have gone, it's been imprinted by them. So some people are imprinted with, with that belief or non-belief in themselves and they, they self-sabotage. And this is where I find that that spells come in handy in rituals because it reaches right down in the unconscious where these old imprinted patterns lie and it helped shape them up a bit so they can be shifted, but they've got to put in the hard work afterwards. It's no good sort of shaking it all up so it can be moved. It's like a kickstart, a spell, if you like if they're just going to sit in the backsides and do nothing or, or, or bewail the fact that, oh, no, I'll never be the same. It's like from that point, you endeavour. And often, you know, I suggest things like CBT to people like this, which is cognitive behavioural therapy, which is a very commonsensical way of just putting one foot in front of the other in order to escape a negative pattern. And I just find magic 
is very good at that sort of thing. And I'm a trained counsellor as well as a nurse. So this, this is what I mean about where you use transferable skills in a way that really helps people. Because whether people want to or not, I think everyone believes in magic. It's there at the back of their, their brain in the primitive bit. And I think a lot of people go, oh, no, 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 it's a load of hocus pocus. It's, it's just denial because they get quite upside about it. And if they really didn't believe in it, why are you getting so mad? How do you see death? How do I see it? <laughs> the, the biggest adventure in life? Um, wow. How do I see that? I've seen death many, many times, as I'm sure you have, with um, nursing experience. I'm quite awed by it. I'm in awe of it. Um, I have the utmost respect for. And um, at my age, in my 70s now, it's, it's something that pops up a bit more often than it used to, mortality. I see it as, I've seen it in some people, it's a friend. And other people, it's absolutely terrifying. I don't see it as a failure at all. It's part, of it's part of life. It's part of the natural process. I'm not particularly frightened of it, but I have huge respect for it. Um, I'm just slightly concerned, like most people, about the, the, ma the manner in which one dies. <laughs> but once again, that's in the lap of the gods. So I just hope I'm with it when I go. I would hate to miss the journey. I want to be kind of conscious when I go. I don't want to just wake up somewhere else, you know, and I'm like, hey, well, I, want to, I want to see what the ride's like. <laughs> have, you, have you ever read um, Terry Pratchett? Yes, yes, yes. So you know his death that speaks in capital letters. I think he's got, he had a very good handle on what death is all about. Um, so that's what I would have recommended if you hadn't read him. So yeah, that's how I see him, I suppose. And how did your did, how did your experience as a nurse? Because I had that as well. Uh, you were seen actually. Uh, people would call you for, you know, preparation for that. Uh, me too, which is interesting. How other people that might not even know who we are or what we do. As, as the nurse will call you because you have more patient or you have more vocation for it, or they feel somehow that they recognize in you some kind of a different approach to somebody that is dying. And you go there and of course you serve as a midwife uh, to the other side. And it's, it's a really interesting experience. How was yours? And, and how did that contribute to this? Um, to your view about death? Well, as I said at the time, I said at the time, I said in my book, I believe, it's just such a privileged place to be. I mean, it's where I feel like I'm really in a sacred space, not of my own making. And I, I've been with many people as they have passed over. And it's just, to me, I. It's like being in, if you can picture it, 
it's like being in front of a huge, I mean huge, as tall as a skyscraper, huge set of doors that start to open really slowly and they open inwards. And there is this rather eldritch light behind it. Um, and they open really incrementally slowly. And there is this compulsion to go forward. But you know, no, no, it's not your time. It's, it's your job to, to support and comfort and just ease the, per the soul that's with you towards this light. They, all, they have felt the, the pull as well. And often I see shadowy figures the other side. I can't see who they are, but often the, the patient or person I'm with has seen someone and they have said, oh goodness, there's so-and-so, um, if they've still been um, conscious. Because I sit with unconscious people too and do the same thing. It's a very sacred vigil. And the, the, the most difficult bit is to sort of back off because the compulsion is very, very strong to also go through. But I know that it's not necessarily my time. So it's, it's a sort of, that is when my head drops and I, I just, I know my, my, my uh, role or my job is over at that point. And so um, I stand in awe. This is in, in my inner eye, you, you must understand. All the while I'm in physical contact with that patient, more often than not holding their hand. Um, but often I have been situation where I've just talked them through it. And then there's this shift in energy in the room and you know that they've departed. And then you do the usual nursey things about making sure that clinically is the case. But it's it's very privileged place to be. Magic Ritual and Folklore Online Courses May and July 2022 Witchcraft, Magic and Esoterica A Rediscovery Two months online course including five guest speaker live sessions, written studies, and podcast material. Jonathan Argento, Rachel Patterson, Simon Wood, Sarita Dieste, and Vicky Bramshaw. Let's listen to Vicky Bramshaw and find out what this fantastic course is about. We've subtitled it A Rediscovery because we believe there's going to be plenty there for both beginners and more experienced practitioners alike. Purpose of this course is to enhance your experience and success in ritual and magic. So often the words are spoken and the actions are made, but nothing actually happens. The success of magic, the changing of the consciousness, crossing the boundaries into the other worlds. None of this is occurring for so many people 
and what we're left with is something that resembles a badly rehearsed theatre production. So in this course we will be covering historical and theoretical aspects of magic as a basis for your understanding, re-exploring some aspects of what you might think as common knowledge and also working with lots of practical techniques. As well as the material that we'll email to you, we'll also be organising some live sessions with some renowned magic workers, including the authors Sarita Dieste and Rachel Patterson. The course will be over two months with the live sessions done on a fortnightly basis and you'll be able to watch those back if you can't make those sessions. Book your tickets here, www.eventbrite.co.uk slash e slash witchcraft magic esoterica a rediscovery tickets 2680488503 book now do not follow where the path may lead go instead where there is no path and leave a trail talk on the chapter works like a charm uh you talk about your the combine of traditional methods with 21st century tools how did you accomplish this um how was your process on this um, just made sense to me pragmatic it, it, it just mm -hmm. to me it's, it's like yes you utilize stuff from the past um but not all stuff from the past is is relevant anymore so you you kind of pick and mix so to speak in a, in a way you take out what's still viable um and then you maybe bring some new stuff in and, and apply it to what's going on in the present basically but once again it's, it's kind of walking between those two worlds because that's the the other thing about the there is, is one type of working with spirits, spirits of place and of land and the elements and things like that. But there also is the connection with the ancestral spirits as well. Now, that was slightly problematic for me in my early days being adopted. But then I, I found that as soon as I started doing this type of work, I kind of plugged into an ancestral um current i suppose that connected me to previous kind of sisterhoods if you like although i'm not saying no men can do that i mean it's just a term a generic term of um previous wise women i can't tell you i could name by name but for instance my going to see granny boswell's grave and sitting by her and chewing over a few problems with her really helped me because it, it was a somewhere physical to go rather than these sort of slightly disembodied bodied sort of messages coming through it's like granny boswell was basically an itinerant gypsy romany gypsy um who <laughs> was the terror of her town forever getting drunk um but when all said and done she produced the goods um so i take a lot of leaves from her book although i wouldn't do it quite the way she did um i would find my way of doing things but then that's how i teach anyway 
it's like oh when I'm teaching people it's like I'll, I'll use myself as an example I would do blah de, blah de, blah do you get the understand of what I'm saying there why I'm doing it the way I'm doing it yes I do great now find your way of doing it given that Use that as a, not a template exactly, but just as an example. How would you do the same thing yourself? Um, that's the sort of messages I, I got through my communication with a previous wise, wise woman working with an ancestral spirit by her graveside. And I still often go there with my bottle of Spingo because you can't go there without one of those, otherwise you wouldn't get a very good reaction. Um, and I take my hat off to her. I think she did the best she could with very little material to go on with. They wouldn't even allow her in the workhouse. They were that frightened of her. Poor soul. Um, but interestingly enough, a lot of people came to her funeral. Huge amounts. They were all spilling into the road gentry as well as the the local peasant folk and obviously numerous romanies and they burnt her caravan afterwards so all done in proper fashion as they say down here well you say you say do not follow where the path may lead oh, yes. go instead where there is no path and leave a trail yeah. so it's basically summarizing what you just said yeah. it's <laughs> the concept of an apprentice which is interesting because it's it's not understood um especially in the wiccan way um but it is very much it it it's not made in polarity at all it could be but it doesn't have to how do you view an apprentice because we know that Previously, some of these women and some of these men, sometimes they, they did had an apprentice and that was passed on like that. And that's how things were passed on. Um, and so not with initiations, not with this and that, but it was like this. It was like this. How do you how do you see this today? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I find it's always made sense to me that it's nothing to do with your gender. It's to do with, are you the type of person who could carry on this tradition successfully? Um, and you look for specific things in people. And if they're not there, it's a bit pointless. Um, gender is the lead. I, I don't see how gender actually comes into it. Um, but then I haven't got a Wiccan frame of mind. So um, I, I don't quite understand that one. It's it's. You base it on merit, um, not on what you have or haven't got between your legs, quite frankly. <laughs> I look for a few things and one is quite specific and that is, in a sense, you've got to like people. And I don't mean like in a very lightweight sense. You've got to be able to engage with people. Some people just don't like people quite frankly <laughs> and it shows um they they just don't seem to have the wherewithal to be able to get on with people or understand them or so that's a really as far as being a wise woman is concerned and that's basically what i am and that's what i would be passing on 
to an, an apprentice. So to me, that's a very big issue. Um, secondly, they need to have a strong mind. Um, and by a strong mind, I don't mean a stubborn one. I mean, a mind that can withstand a lot of things. So it's no good having um, uh, a rigid mind because that would make it quite brittle, actually, when you think about it. Um, strength lies in, a, lies in a certain amount of flexibility, not too much. And, and not too little, but it's it's resilient. There needs to be a resilience about the person. Um, pragmatism, banging on about that again, but that's a biggie. Um, because if you haven't got what seems to be, I don't know why they call it common sense anymore, because it seems to be getting rarer and rarer as the years go by. Common sense is a very valuable commodity shall we say um and it's a certain je ne sais quoi about a person their ability to just pick up on things um psychic ability helps a lot but there is a i don't know it's 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 something i know when i see it but difficult to describe in the meantime but it's a certain frisson you get off of them a certain it's a quick understanding of what i'm i'm trying to get across psychic disturbances in houses you have actually uh, a categories that you 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 kind of uh, uh, talk about in the book um can you talk a little briefly about this? Because it's very important. I think that it's interesting, your your way of looking at these things and how you approach them. You talk about debris, focus, and entity. And there's three different things that can actually cause some phenomena uh, in houses. Yeah. Well, debris is basically bad housekeeping, psychically speaking. Um, I mean, if you're fortunate and you move into a property, it's all nice and clean. It's not always the case, as we all know. Um, but very rarely do people psychically clean their places. And basically, it's just a build-up of all sort of extraneous, rather negative energies that tends to gather in the, the corners and in the dark places in the house, especially if it's been a dysfunctional family or a couple arguing a lot or, or whatever. Um, or there's, there's been some sort of tragedy. And we have countless sort of examples of this all the time where people have moved into a new place and it's just odd energies about it. And nine times out of 10, it's simply that. Sometimes it can be the focus of some negative attention from externally. That can be picked up in... in it can be deliberate or unconscious. Now, deliberate sort of speaks for itself. Um, and I came across a very interesting example of that once where um, the, there was disturbances in the house due to um, a family living close by who resented the people buying the property. Um, and they were 
almost unconsciously sending bad energy towards the house. They were very resentful of what happened. Um, so, but it, it was relatively straightforward to deal with that once you knew what was happening. But you can get an unconscious um, sort of build up by if there is any sense of tragedy within the property, like a suicide or a murder, which occasionally happens. Um, then people talk about the place and it builds a reputation and then you've only got to listen to that and it can actually build up as a, as a physical miasma about the place um and then you know that's that's something else it, once again it's it's done to sort of cleansing the place really and ridding it of these extraneous energies and then finally entity usually um, more often than not these are hauntings which are, are simply uh, re recordings of things that have happened in the past it's like a loop that just plays over and over um, of something that used to happen and has kind of imprinted itself on the immediate environment of the house which sounds a bit fanciful, um, but it really does happen. It seems to, there is an absorbing quality about certainly old buildings, stone buildings that were built of stone and wood. They seem to have the qualities to absorb these energies far more readily um, than modern constructs, shall we say, although it can happen in modern houses too. Um, and also places where there has been high emotion or trauma or drama. In a sense, it can replay itself, reenact it, if you like. And I use the example of um, the Haunted Gallery in the Tower of London, where Anne Boleyn walked down towards the place in you can imagine what was going through her head at the time. Um, nevertheless, she was a queen and she she managed to walk that without being dragged screaming. Um, so there was a, a sense of repression there as well as terror. And these sort of energies can impregnate the environment. And then you've got spirits that haven't passed over properly. So there's those sort of rescue, soul rescue things to deal with as well. Really depends on the place and you have to go to the place. This is not something you can do from afar to go and suss out what you're dealing with um, and then you act accordingly. But my partner who used to be my apprentice, work, I work with her. Uh, or she, I don't work anymore officially, I've retired. So she's taken over the business. So we get called out to places with dodgy energies. So we do it together because in comparison to Letitia, I'm about as psychic as a brick. Um, so she has skills in that area. And she's also very good with, um, she's a, a medium, uh, a psychic medium. So she has these extra abilities that I don't have. 
Um, so we made a good team. So we, we, we have gone to places and helped sort of rid them of um, odd, en- and odd energies and um, with, with very good effect. There's so much in this book that we're not gonna we're not gonna have time to speak o- about all of it, but it's it's a fantastic uh, book. One of the uh, fantastic things about it, other than everything else, is your adventures with other people and how you um, exchanged um, some knowledge, maybe, and uh, you know, and and when I'm talking about you know, for instance, Marilyn Johnson. Uh, when you met her, and uh, and then you went back to uh, visit, uh, and and it was it, it, it's all yeah. in the book. So if you want to know a little bit more about um, uh, the stories, just uh, read the book. It's an incredible book. I w- I would like to just uh... yeah. And by the way, by the way, I did. Eat- I did meet my Appalachian woman. Oh. Um, she came over to me. Her name's Byron Ballard. And we still communicate with each other. And she's excellent. So if you're reading the book, you know what this means. <laughs> you call yourself not an hereditary witch, but an erectical. Erect, erect, oh, God. Now I can't say the word. Steady. <laughs> Heretical. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just, no, it's apologize. just went it's on the other way. Uh, which, why? It did. Why do you call yourself that instead of hereditary? Well, well of course, you, you, you know, but. Because I question things. Um, Basically, a, a heretic is someone that questions things. And if you're, you've come up against a, a fundamental belief system, if, if you question things, you're considered a heretic or an apostate or anything like something similar. So I thought, well, yeah, I always question things. Um, and I think if your religion is, is robust enough, it will stand up to questioning. But so many of them aren't. Um, so I got called heretic so many times. I thought, oh, I'll take that. Thank you. I'm a heretical, heretical witch. Now you got me at it. <laughs> so sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Cassandra, thank you so much for uh, this interview. It was a lovely, lovely time. And uh, this is an incredible book. You're very welcome. I'm glad to have met you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Hidden Light. In order for you to listen to more of our episodes, please consider subscribing to the podcast on the many magical platforms that support us, like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until the next episode, I say, always keep the hidden light.